Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, a man who you and over 100 million more people can watch on TV this Sunday. Ladies and gentlemen, Lady Gaga's least favorite backup dancer, the very light on his feet, the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you, and man, my legs are tired. Today we are drinking Creme Brulee by Southern Tier Brewing Company, garage grade, 5 out of 5 bottle caps. I absolutely love this. I had this for the first time last Friday night. It's unreal how they mask the 10% ABV with total dessert goodness. This tastes like Creme Brulee 100%. These dessert beers, though, I like to drink a little 5-ounce glass of these Mm -hmm. because, you know... You got to watch out for these things. They taste so good, but they got so much alcohol. You don't want to put yourself into a bad situation. This, for me, Captain, might replace Lizard of Cause as my current favorite beer. Mm. And this week's beer is brought to us by the True Crime Garage Army. First up, we have Allie Joy and Elizabeth, both from Parts Unknown. Thank you, Allie Joy and Elizabeth. Next up, we have Melissa in Mint Hill, North Carolina. We also have Bradley, who is trapped in cubicle jail in Bloomington, Illinois. Bradley says, cheers, fellas. Thank you, Bradley. Let's stay in Illinois and say hi to Becky from Chicago. Becky wants us to cover a female serial killer case. We could do a Girls Gone Wild episode, Captain. Mm -hmm. We also have Shanna in Bastrop, Texas. She says she is just down the road from the Chainsaw Massacre grocery store. So, lucky you. And last but not least, we have Sarah from Olympia, Washington, who recommends some great beers to try. She recommends trying Dawn of the Red and Space Dust IPA. So, thank you to everyone for buying the beer for this week's show. And if you want to kick in and buy for next week's show, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and click on the donate button. Big happy birthday to Tony Stark on Twitter. Like your G. For all things social media, we are at True Crime Garage. And if you'd like to go to our website, truecrimegarage.com, check out our blog post there. We post a blog for each and every case that we cover. You can leave your questions, comments, and theories there. And that's enough of the business. All right, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime. trace yet of a missing 24-year-old Gwinnett County woman, Meredith Emerson, disappeared with her dog while hiking in the North Georgia mountains on New Year's Day. Now investigators are also looking for another hiker they call a person of interest in Meredith's disappearance. 
11 Live's John Chirik is at Vogel State Park in Union County, where volunteers will return in the morning to continue their search. And John, you have uh, some very latest information for us about that person of interest. Right, Brenda, this is a photo of the person of interest. The Union County Sheriff's Office released the photo and name of the person of interest within the past hour. He is Gary Michael Hilton of DeKalb County. Investigators want to talk with Hilton. They say they just don't know yet if Hilton had anything to do with Meredith Emerson's disappearance. All day above Blood Mountain, the State Patrol's infrared detectors scanned for body heat below. On the rugged ground, there it is. volunteers shouted Meredith Emerson's name. There it is. She vanished Tuesday afternoon during a hike with her black lab, Ella. Witnesses say Meredith encountered an older man on the trail. Police now identify him as 60-year-old Gary Michael Hilton of DeKalb County. He also had a dog, and now police want to find him, too. They say he looked like he'd been camping in the wilderness for some time. What stood out about him, everyone said he had bad teeth or no teeth. Um, I'm, I'm praying hard. Family and friends, Meredith's parents on the trails searching with everyone else. They say Meredith is a martial arts student, an experienced hiker, tough. Let me tell you something, Meredith Emerson could do anything. She is feisty, she is strong, she's tiny and petite, 120 pounds, but let me tell you, I have every hope that if anybody could, she can run those mountains. Investigators are interviewing everyone close to Meredith in Gwinnett County, her home, and in her native Colorado. And they're interviewing everyone else they can find who knows her, trying to uncover any other reason she might have disappeared with her dog, leaving her car at the trailhead parking lot. We're following up on everything. We are following up about her life, uh, about her friends. Now, they're not going to give up hope. I'm not giving up hope. Um, I'm hoping there's a, a cave or an area where a helicopter couldn't see it, but these, these uh, saints on foot can. The person of interest, Gary Michael Hilton, was driving, according to investigators, a Chevy Astro van, possibly with one of these two plates on it, a Georgia Tag 76APZ or a Georgia Tag AFQ 1310. Anyone with inf any information about Gary Michael Hilton or the van, the minivan, or these license tags should call the Union County Sheriff's Office. The number is 706-439-6038. Again, 706-439-6038. We'll have that phone number and the license tags on our website, 11alive.com. Brenda. John, of course, with this information, the police may, in fact, get the break that they need in this case. But let me ask you, we began this day, as you well know, with police just looking for a person of interest and some very sketchy details about it. How do we uh, come to getting a picture of him and a uh, license plate ID and the driver's license number and all of that? How did that all come together? We asked that very question, and investigators do not want to go into tales right now. They have five or six witnesses, they said, who saw uh, a man that they now describe as this man, five or six independent witnesses. They came forward separately after uh, news of uh, this disappearance of Meredith Emerson came out. They said, we saw a man on the trail, and they described him, and they all give a similar description, which investigators say match this man. But how they were able to tie those descriptions to him, they're not saying just yet. All right. John Sherrick reporting from Union County there at the Search Command Center, and we'll continue to follow the story. This case starts off at a place called Blood Mountain, and we have a 24-year-old woman. Her name is Meredith Emerson, and she has gone missing. Now, the way that this whole case starts off is we have New Year's Day, January 1st, 2008. Mm -hmm. Meredith Emerson is an active, smart young woman who often went on day hikes with her dog, Ella, which is a black lab. Now, her roommate wakes up to a note on a chalkboard that simply says, took Ella, went for a hike. This is no big red flag here. This is nothing out of the norm. Mm -hmm. Perfectly normal situation. Now, the roommate was very busy with friends on New Year's Day and failed to notice that Meredith did not return home that night. It was not until the next morning that she started to think that something was up. Meredith was absent from work on January 2nd, 
which is a big red flag. She was not the type to miss work. And most hikers, most avid hikers, will leave a note that they're going hiking, but they normally leave some kind of information on where they'll be hiking mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that was not the situation here. You know, the chalkboard simply said, took Ella, went for a hike. Well, when Meredith, when her roommate finds out that she didn't come home and then she doesn't show up for work, they yeah. had a mutual friend that worked with Meredith. Mm-hmm. And she contacts the roommate and says, look, something's up here because Meredith didn't come to work today. It's at this point that the roommate and some of Meredith's friends start going through Meredith's belongings to try to figure out where she may have gone hiking that day. They do come across some materials leading them to believe that she would have taken the dog and gone hiking on Blood Mountain. Now, Blood Mountain is the highest peak in in the Georgia section of the Appalachian Trail, and it's the sixth tallest mountain in Georgia. So this is a very popular hiking destination. Investigators go to Blood Mountain looking for Meredith, and they are a little taken aback from what little evidence they do find, but this is not pointing to anything good. This is not positive feedback that they're getting here. Mm -hmm. They find water bottles and a dog leash that they believe would have been for Ella belonging to Meredith. And in this same area on a trail, someone had reported finding a collapsible police baton. And we've all seen one of these before, you know, uh, on the police officer's belt. Sometimes it, it looks like maybe maybe the length of a pencil, but a little bit fatter. Yeah, this is an item that you would typically find on a police officer on their Batman utility belt. Yeah, and this took place of the old billy clubs. Yeah, so, or nightstick. But it would have yeah, the yeah. same effect, but it's much more portable. You know, and you could, if you struck somebody with one of these objects, it's it's like being hit with a baseball bat. This is an item that comes into play very important later. Yeah, authorities now believe that Meredith went missing from this location and that she did not get lost or suffer some kind of accident. That she, this evidence is pointing towards an abduction. Mm. And they are now asking for the public's help. Some reports start coming in of Meredith having been seen with a strange-looking, wiry old man, approximately 50 to 60 years old. There was a photo given to police of a white van. This photo was taken the night before Meredith went missing, but in the very same area. So police are now thinking that this could be connected, and they release the information that they have received to the public. So a be on the lookout is sent out to the public with the white van, a man in his 50s or 60s, strange-looking and wiry. Mm -hmm. This man may have had a red retriever dog with him. Well, this gets the police what they are looking for because a man by the name of John Tabor, a business owner, calls police and says, I believe the man you are looking for is Gary Michael Hilton. He used to work for me. Tabor's company sold and installed siding and windows, and Gary Hilton worked for Tabor selling siding, For about 10 years, he tells the police that Gary Hilton is of that age group. Last time he had seen him, he looked extremely strange, saying something like Gary had told him that he had removed some of his own teeth using a pair of pliers. Mm -hmm. Gary drove a white Chevy Astro van and had a red colored retriever dog named Dandy and also carried a police style baton with him almost everywhere he went. And he also knew that Gary, he loved to hike and he loved to camp. And he did this all the time. Sometimes he was going to parks and national forests daily to hike with his dog, or as he would call it, you know, he's taking his dog for a walk. Well, not only did Tabor know that Hilton liked to carry a baton, a police baton with him, but he also knew that he liked to hike at Blood Mountain. Yeah, specifically, that was one of his spots that he would go to. Yeah, and Tabor and Hilton's relationship is... is uh, kind of estranged at this point. That's a very polite way to put it. And and I'm sure that this is all information that he's giving to the police that doesn't come out in these news bulletins because, you know, they can't give too much away. But but talk a little bit about Tabor and his relationship with Hilton. They worked together for 10 years. Why don't they work together anymore? Well, I think there was some back and forth. You know, Tabor was the businessman. He was the money. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hilton was, you know, basically the laborer, right? Yeah, he he was more into the sales end of it. He 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 prided himself on being. Uh, if you ask Hilton uh, what his job was, he would tell you he was the number one sales salesman for the siding part <laughs> right, of the right. business. This guy thinks fondly of himself, yes, to say the least. And so with uh, Tabor, so I guess there's some there's there's some discrepancy 
through their business endeavors. And Hilton believes that that Tabor is not paying him the money right. that he's owed. So that's not where it stops there. It's not just, hey, I'm not going to work for you anymore. It's all, by the way, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. It sounds to me as if, if some for some reason, Hilton believed because he was the quote unquote number one sales guy of for, all time for Tabor for all these for these sighting uh, jobs that they did. He believed that Tabor owed him a bunch of money, mm-hmm. and I, I believe the dollar amount was like ten thousand dollars. And Tabor shows up, and he discovers that Hilton's not really doing a good job anymore. He's kind of a disgruntled employee. Right. And he's, he's just letting things go. He's not really doing the work anymore after all these years. And not only that, he appears to either be on drugs or losing it mentally. You know, we talked about that situation where Gary Hilton tells Tabor that he had removed some of his own teeth with a pair of pliers. Yeah. And it's at this point they get in this, this disagreement about the $10,000 and Hilton quits the job. But all the while he's saying, I'm quitting, but you owe me 10 grand. And if you don't give me that money... Well, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, and he is so fearful of his life that he actually goes out and buys a gun, buys multiple guns to protect himself uh, and, you know, for a possible attack from Crazy Hilton. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing that Tabor knows about Hilton as well is, you know, he's known him for 10 years. Mm -hmm. and, And Hilton would often come to Tabor and tell these stories of these hikes that he would go on. And he said it was the same story every time that Gary would go out on these hikes with his dog yeah. And he would get into some altercation with some other hiker out in the woods. Normally about their dog. Yeah. He, he, he would get like very upset if people didn't have their dogs on a leash or if, if they were letting them run wild. And he assumed that the dogs would attack him. On multiple occasions, he had been seen correcting or what others would call beating some of these other people's dogs. Right. And he would end up in these fights with other people. And Tabor said, you know, it's the same story every time. That Gary Hilton tell me about this altercation that he got into, and he, Gary was always the victim. You know, he always fled the scene and avoided some kind of physical altercation. Well, right, and, and first of all, Gary is very thin. He's very looks fragile. He's wiry. Yeah, very wiry. But here, here's this guy that he believes that he's smarter than everybody. Oh, definitely. You know, so not only is he smarter than everybody, but uh, he's always in the right. He's always the victim. You know, again, we see that he is the victim and the whole uh, Tabor's not paying me enough money. You know, you owe me all this money. I'm the victim. You know, then we get into this altercation. So, uh, again, this guy just, you know, thinks the world of himself and all, by the way, he's smarter than everybody. Yeah. Now, here's a strange thing, Captain. This is on the third day of Meredith's, Meredith's disappearance or her, you know, presumed abduction. Right. Gary Hilton makes a phone call from a payphone at a diner. And the strange thing here is who does he call? He calls John Tabor. Right. And the guy he, that he hasn't talked to in years. Yeah. And he's unaware that John Tabor has contacted police and said, you might be looking for this guy mm-hmm. uh, regarding this girl's disappearance. And what he says to John Tabor is that he says, you know, he wants to apologize to John for how he ended things with John in the company and how he was, he says he was sick for a while, but now he's much better and he's looking for work because he's broke. Mm-hmm. Well, Tabor here, he knows that the police are looking for Hilton because he, he, he tipped him off. Right. And Tabor's going to try to set a trap. Tabor agrees to throw Gary some work and he's going to leave him a little money to help, help Gary out. Yeah. About $800. You're exactly right. He's going to leave a check for 800 bucks and he's going to leave it at this, uh, one of the company's properties. Yeah. It was a rental property and Gary Hilton actually lived there for a while. So he figured, well, I'll lure him to the place that he's familiar with. Yeah. Someplace that he's comfortable and police go and they stake out this place. Mm -hmm. But of course, Gary never shows. And as this is all going down, we have a couple attempts being made to access Meredith's accounts using an ATM. Now, the police aren't for sure that Gary Hilton is our guy, but they're pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, they're looking for Gary, and as you had said, during this time, there's three attempts that we know of that someone tried unsuccessfully using her bank card. Uh, And this is going to give everybody hope that Meredith is still alive and still with us because because these attempts are unsuccessful. If somebody has taken her and is holding her for the purpose of robbing her, Mm -hmm. they need to get her pen code so they can extract money. 
and this has not happened. Yeah, this is a weird thought to me, though, that people believe that she'd still be alive at this point because these attempts could be made after she passed away. I mean, it, you know, you, you get a number or you don't get a number, but you have this card and then you're trying to make access. So I don't know what leads them to believe that she is still alive at this point. And I would agree with you. They, they probably have some information that we are unaware of because mm-hmm. we've seen this in cases that we've covered and, and thousands of cases out there in the news that usually these bank cards are used after somebody's already been killed. Right. Um, I think that the thing here is that these attempts were made at multiple different um, uh, ATMs. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the thought here is that maybe the whoever had possession of this card and was trying to use it might be getting additional information from Meredith as these attempts progress. Right. Mean, so, meaning you need to, you got to try it at this ATM, not that one. It won't work. Right. Or, right. oh, I must have gave you the wrong pin code. Maybe, maybe they're able to see that, you know, they didn't type in one, two, three, four. They typed in four, three, two, one right, the second right. time. Um, that That's my guess. So the, if there was different locations, if there's different codes being used, that possibly that leads to the fact that she's still alive and giving this uh, person information. That's mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. And on January 4th, a, there's a woman at a supermarket parking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in Forsyth County, Georgia. A woman at a supermarket parking lot finds a black lab wandering around. Uh, she decides to take the dog to an animal clinic and the dog is chipped. It has one of those identification chips in it. Yeah. And the dog is quickly identified as Ella as Meredith Emerson's dog, the missing 24-year-old woman's dog. Well, now we have the dog. We have Meredith's dog. And we have this person driving around all over trying to use the ATM cards. Right. And so now we can assume that she is just not lost, right? We have have more than we have the pieces that we found at Blood Mountain, uh, the piece of evidence, you know, that were just dropped by who, who knows. And now we have Meredith's dog, so now we can definitely assume that she's just not lost somewhere. Right, that she's been taken and she's been held. And even though I I don't have the distance right in front of me between Blood Mountain and where the dog was found, Mm -hmm. but from my understanding, it was a considerable distance. And, you know, yeah, Meredith has been missing for a few days, so it's not inconceivable to that the dog could have traveled that, but it's it's very uh, highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. So they find this dog in the supermarket parking lot. They've identified it as Meredith Emerson's dog, and around this in the same area is where they are able to trace the phone call that that Gary Hilton had made earlier to John Tabor. And of yeah. course, they're aware of this phone call because John Tabor set up the trap and they were staking out the the apartment uh, or the home, trying to to. Uh, Right, so now we have this solid evidence that we believe that she is was abducted, no doubt. And now we have more solid evidence that, hey, Gary is our guy. Yeah. This uh this weirdo that likes to pull his teeth out with you know, he's a that's a he's a amateur dentist, uh is is the one that's responsible for this. Yeah, and so we know that and we also have a general area where we think that, that Gary would be or Meredith would be because we found the dog, we got the phone call. So police are going to start scavenging that area. They're going to start searching that area. And within the vicinity of that phone call and where the dog was found, they find some very disturbing items in a dumpster. They find Meredith Emerson's purse. They find her ID. And they find some bags with bloody clothing in them. There are three bloodied shirts that they find in these bags, all believed to be Meredith Emerson's. And I'm just wondering because, I mean, I hike... But not like, you know, hike, hike. I'll go to a local park and go on the trails and stuff like that. But it's always just, you know, for a couple hours. I don't ever make a day of it. So I'm just wondering if that maybe that she packs a bag and then she'd have these clothes with her, you know, maybe to change afterwards if she wants to go to dinner with friends or whatever. Uh, that she doesn't want to be in her sweaty hiking clothes. Or you're going to dress in layers because it is the wintertime. Uh, you might get warm as you're hiking and need to take layers <laughs> off, or you may get cold, have to add layers, or it could rain. You know, mm-hmm. these these hikers, you know, I go out on day hikes, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so amateur. I don't bring any belongings or pr- provisions with me. Um, you're an amateur hiker, just <laughs> like uh, Hilton's an amateur dentist. That's right. I'm, I'm actually taking the dog for a walk. Um, on this same day, on January 4th, this is around 8 p.m., 
the they start getting some 911 calls. There's at least two calls that come in that are reporting that the person of interest in the missing Meredith Emerson case has been spotted and he is at a Chevron gas station. We'll get to that phone call right after this. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself 
to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Quick beer break. And we're back. Cheers, everybody. So let's play the clip real quick of the 911 phone call. Okay, I have that one. What's the exact location? I, I have the, uh, the person of interest in the missing woman case is at this uh, Chevron gas station on Ashford Dunwoody. Chevron gas station at Ashford Dunwoody? Yeah. You said the van is there? The van is here. The dog is here, the red dog. And I saw the man's face. And I've been watching the news, and I know it's him. I know it's him. He's got a green uh, long sweatshirt, and he's wearing a hat, and he's emptying all this stuff out of his van. Pillows and a blanket, and it looks like he's got a sleeping bag right now. Taking it all to the trash. Um, it's definitely and the he's looking at around like he's as guilty as sin. Okay, sir, and the dumpster's at the rear of the location? Yeah, the dumpster's, well, it's kind of right in the front. It's right by the car wash. Okay. I can go take him down if you want. No, sir. Stay right there. Okay. Okay. Hold on, sir. He looks like he's finishing up. You guys got to hurry. He's got stuff in bags that he's emptied onto the ground, and he's taking load by load to the stir behind the car wash. Another. It's, this is the third backpack we've seen him take to the dumpster. Oh, I'm just shaking. Do you guys... Uh, is there somebody in route? Yes, sir. Here we go. Here comes the cop. Yes. Yes. Lisa Bear? Yes. Yes. They got him. They got him? I mean, they don't have him yet, but they're getting out. Oh, they got him now. Here. Two cruisers pulled up on him. Two of the cabs trying to sit. I love that 911 call. That That's fantastic. They get the guy that they're looking for. We have a good Samaritan that calls in, spots the guy that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. They show up in time, thank God. The, the The caller sounds a little hesitant, like, you know, this guy's going to, he's he's almost done dumping his things. He's going to leave. If you don't get here soon, what's going to happen? This guy's going get, to get away, right? And he offers to go and take the dude down, <laughs> to take him down. <laughs> that's, my, my, that's my favorite part. Well, he first says, hey, you want me to go get him? Yeah. But, you know, uh. You know, I mean, the the caller doesn't know that that uh, Hilton doesn't have his weapon of choice on him. But you know, uh, like we said before, Gary Hilton seems like this little tiny wiry guy. That so this caller is probably going, man, I can take him out. And then, and then also, if you just know that 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 this uh, monster, that this heinous person is responsible for this twenty four year old female going missing, we don't know if she's alive or whatever. Then the adrenaline kicks in because. You know, you want to um, help the police, uh, the law enforcement in any way you can to maybe save this lady. Yeah, yeah. But the thing here is, though, the caller and we don't know what items he has in his van. I mean, yeah, we don't say, even know if Meredith is in the van. Right. And you, but you say without his weapon, who knows what form of weapons he has in the van. So the right call is to tell the person not to, to go attack him. Here's the difference, I think, between you and I. I think I would be similar to the caller where he's, he's almost like asking for permission. Like, right, right. can I go take him down? You know, is that allowed where I think I would ask for permission and you, offer my services? You would I definitely think, ask for permission. I think the captain would take him down and then place the phone call. That's how I see it going down. If you were at the Chevron station, it's that possible. Evening. I mean, but this guy, I mean, he is wiry, but uh, I'll post some pictures on him on the website and then on Instagram. But uh, he's a he's a weird looking dude. He's weird looking, and you said earlier fragile, and I think that he he may appear fragile. Well, he's sixty one. Yeah, he he may appear fragile because of his age, but 
But I also want to keep in mind here his background, right? This guy is an avid hiker. And and when I he he would go out hiking for hours mm-hmm. almost daily. And that takes a certain amount of endurance and a certain amount of Well uh, look, man, I sit in a garage and I talk into a microphone. That's some heavy lifting. <laughs> I think I can take this take this sucker down. Um no, but what a weird situation to be in with the caller because you know, you're hesitant. Should I take him down? And then you start, you're fearful that this guy is going to get away. And yeah, we have him dumping, you know, he said three backpacks of whatever. And to me, it's almost like now at this point, Gary Hilton knows that people are looking for him. Mm-hmm. He, he knows he's screwed. You know, his, his name, his face is all over the place. Yeah. And it seems like he's just trying to dump evidence. Yeah. As much evidence as he can, he'll dump and he's probably doesn't he's probably has no clue that law enforcement already has the the evidence that he dumped at the last dumpster. And the thing here too is that it doesn't come through real clear in the in the audio clip that we have, but uh you can hear the caller, he's kind of cheering on the situation like as he sees the cops showing up, you can hear him going like, "Yes, yes. Yes, yes mm-hmm. we're going to get him." Uh so I I mean I like I like that caller. So just like you hear the guy say, Gary Hilton is arrested. Um, and I believe they originally hold him on some kind of vehicle charge. And we'll, we'll go back to that in a little bit. But the situation is here. They, through what they find in his van, what they find uh, in the dumpster. Yeah. And both dumpsters. Yeah. And the items collected at Blood Mountain, along with eyewitnesses saying, you know, yeah, that is the guy that we saw with yeah. with Meredith Emerson at the time, um, that they present Gary with this evidence. And Georgia has the death penalty. And very quickly, there's a little back and forth, and he wants to strike a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants them to, I will tell you what happened, and I will lead you to Meredith's body. Yeah, because he's claiming that, you know, he he killed her. Yeah. And, and, but you got to take the death penalty off of the table Mm -hmm. and that's the agreement that they make. He's going to, he's going to confess to it. He's going to lead him to the body. He's going to tell them what happened and he's going to get life in prison with the possibility of parole, which seems extremely strange, but that is. Yeah. How does that work? You get life in prison. I I don't know if it, you know, because these, these different sentences, vary from state to state. And I don't know if that's like a mandatory life sentence in Georgia. Maybe they, most of them carry a life, uh, with the possibility of parole. I think all he was requesting was a life sentence though. And for whatever reason, the laws that are set up there, he, he has to get life with the possibility of parole. Mm, That's weird. I think if I was the detective, I'd say, listen here, you scumbag, uh, I'll find her. And I'm going to charge you with the death penalty just to scare the piss out of him. Right. You know. So, of course, now we have Gary. He's in custody and he's, you know, we're going to see the situation. It's very much like you would see in like the movie seven or whatever, where he's he's shackled. He's in handcuffs. They're going to take him out so he can lead them to her body. Yeah. This gives a little closure to the family mm -hmm. so they can bury her. And, you know, and our hearts go out to our family and our friends and it's a tragic situation anytime uh, somebody's life is taken away from them, but also being uh, this uh, vibrant, uh, smart, you know, somebody that was really taking on life, you know, taking life by the, the horns and, and, and wrestling with it and, and having such success um, and well, to have that be cut so short. Well, and Meredith Emerson was a winner. You know, we, we see this, she, she was somebody that worked hard. She was somebody that studied hard. She led an active life. She had lots of friends, loved ones. She was a winner and she Mm -hmm. was senselessly taken down by a loser. Basically a guy that was not basically, I mean, right. I mean, well, animal savage loser, but to sum it up, douche canoe, you know, in the shortest of terms, he's a loser that was out looking to rob somebody and looking to obtain an ATM card and drain as much money as as possible. Right. And in the process killed senselessly killed somebody. Yeah. And so then the cops are going to just want to know a little bit more about the actual details of the event. And Mm -hmm. that will happen during the confession. Gary Hilton told investigators that he targeted the 24 year old woman because, because simply that, that she was a woman Mm -hmm. that, that he had come across her or seen her, uh, on new year's day. And that they actually hiked for a while together. 
Um, but he couldn't keep up with her. Yeah, so it's not it's not very clear if uh, Hilton went to Blood Mountain to abduct somebody or rob somebody or even murder somebody in this case, um, or if it was just an opportunity as maybe he was walking the dog and then Meredith comes along and she is a she is more of a petite girl. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe he thought, oh, well, with my knife and with my police baton, uh, I can overpower her. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, you know, I don't know that, I, I think it was more an opportunity situation mm-hmm. that he probably was hiking and came across her. But he did say in one interview, this is a separate interview here, that uh, he he had said something to, the, I think he was on the lookout for a potential victim. Okay. Because he had said that he, he was broke. Right. He, he had $40 to his name and he only had a couple days worth of food. And so he knew he was going to have to go out and kill someone. Those are his exact words. Um, so very much an opportunity type killing where he comes across this petite woman. Like you said, I think one of her family members had said she was about 120 pounds. Um, so he sees this, this woman that he thinks he can easily overpower with these weapons. But surprise, surprise to him is that Meredith, uh, not only is she an avid hiker and, uh, is in good physical health, but she's also a blue belt and jujitsu, I believe. Yeah. Oh, well, I think she she was familiar with several forms of martial arts. Yeah, so she is going to put up a fight against Hilton. Yeah, he says that when he couldn't keep up with her on the trails, that at some point she had turned back to come back down the trail, you know, probably looking for him or asking him if he needed any help, you know, being the good person that she is. And when she comes yeah, back down, or the, she was just done with her hike and she was turning back around. When she comes back down the trail, he's waiting there for her weapons in hand. Um, mm-hmm. and immediately he's going to demand her ATM card. And he says that she immediately went on the defensive and, you know, she grabbed the blade. He had a military style knife. She grabbed the blade and the baton that Hilton had used to try to attack her. Yeah. And, you know, he says that she has no, she didn't even seem, uh, she wasn't scared at all to the fact of grabbing the weapons, you know, right, right, right. especially a knife. You know, you see these situations in a horror film or whatever, when, when the attacker is coming with a knife, you know that you've got to gain control of that weapon. Uh, either- right. But if that's something you haven't done multiple times, then obviously you're going to, you know, you're not going to know what to do. And so he quickly realizes that this girl knows what's up. Yeah. Yeah. He, he says that um, she wouldn't stop fighting him. You know, she tried, she, she grabs the blade. She grabs well, hell no, the, you shouldn't stop the fighting. baton. You know, you got this scary, freaky, skinny, stupid dude, uh, attacking you. And you know, you got to fight for your life. And that's what she was doing. She's fighting him and she's yelling at the same time, which is exactly what you should do. So immediately he realizes that he needs to both gain control of her and silence her at the same time. And uh, I, I wonder with her having, um, Ella, her dog with her, if that was a hindrance on any, you know, because, you know, 61 year old. So it's like you don't really have to fight him to win. You just have to fight him in order to get free so you can take off running. Right. And I just wonder if by having a dog, that is some kind of hindrance, you know. Well, the fight takes them well off of this trail that they were on. And now they're basically in the woods and fighting. Yeah. I think he said at some point. They're kind of like grappling, and due to the fighting, they actually went down a hill. And she actually, she actually gets both of his weapons away from him during right. this struggle. And they're down the hill, and this is where he, you know, he needs to gain control of her, and he does this by punching her in the face. And he says he blackened both of her eyes, right. possibly breaking her nose. But in the process, he had broke his hand doing so in the fight. Well, and also, I mean. Yeah, she has some training and some martial arts, but how much actual sparring has she done? I'm, I'm assuming not a lot. So, I mean, you know, coming from any fighting background, one, you know, once you get punched in the face, it kind of becomes a different thing, and you might not be used to that. And that kind of might have threw her off guard and maybe even, maybe possibly uh, even knocked her unconscious on some level. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I believe that it, had this been a, a, a scheduled fight, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. w- where he has no weapons, I think she would have got the upper hand on him. But I think because she was surprised 
uh, and didn't expect to be attacked, that might have got the best of her in the end. And who knows? He he may have gained control of her, not just by punching her, but he may have hit her with the baton by this point. Right. Um, he, he says that once he gained control of her, he was able to calm her down by telling her that he just wanted her credit card and her pen number. And now that he had control of her, he needed to avoid established trails as he needed to lead her back down the mountain and with her dog and get to his van, get right. to, to well, his vehicle. And if you're in Meredith's shoes at this point, I mean, what the heck is going through your head? Because you just had this uh, vicious altercation with this uh, nut job. And now you're, you know, he's saying, yeah, I, I just need your debit card. Mm-hmm. But then why do I need to go back to your van? I, and I think at this point, you, the wheels are turning on what is going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it just a simple robbery? Is it just a, a, a you know, I say simple, but is it just a robbery? Is it just um, assault? Or now is this more? Because now I'm in this individual's vehicle. And they the investigators and law enforcement say that Emerson, she bought herself three days by giving Hilton the wrong pin number for her ATM card. And she told him each time that these numbers are correct. I don't know why it's not working or you do need to go to a different ATM machine. She's buying her time. Well, and a lot of people probably at this point go, well, she fought him at the mountain, right? At blood mountain. Then why is she, why is she not fighting anymore? Mm -hmm. By this point, once they get back to the vehicle, Hilton can just lie to her, which he, I believe he does because I don't believe he has a gun, but he explains to her that I have a gun. Mm -hmm. And by telling her that he has a gun that, you know, she now basically has to be submissive to him because she's afraid he's just going to pull a gun and shoot her. her. Well, and you're, you're right. They, they did find several weapons in his vehicle and he probably used those to keep control of her. One of those items was an air gun, you know, like a BB gun. Right. Um, I don't know because some of these gun, BB guns look very much like a toy. Right. And sometimes they look very much like a real gun. Um, yeah. And if you have no knowledge of guns, then you would probably just have to assume. I mean, this nut job just attacked you mm-hmm. while you're hiking with your dog. And, and this nut job was hiking with his dog as well. So, you know, at this point, you just have to believe whatever he's saying. Yeah, and if you never get a good look at this BB gun, it, right. you know, if he if he decides not to show you the full piece, right. um, maybe you're, you, be- you have to believe it's a real gun. A, a lot of those guns you can't really tell from the side. It's really just when you're looking down the barrel mm-hmm. or you would notice that something's off. Yeah. Yeah. Now, remember the phone call that we said was made that he had made from the diner uh, when he called John Tabor to ask him for money? Mm -hmm. Meredith was still alive at this time. She was being held captive in his van. And he had said that he used a, you know, he used like one of those long chains and had chained her basically around her neck to secure her to the inside of the van. So she's still alive out inside the van in the parking lot of this diner while he's inside making this phone call. Yeah, but that's just horrific, you know. I mean, you're chained into this, you know, shitty Astro van. And at some point he decides that he's going to have to kill her. This is not working out for him. He's trying to get the the money from the ATM machines. Mm -hmm. This is a no-go for him. Well, he Um, says in an interview, like it's to him, it's common knowledge that if you abduct somebody, the only way you to not get caught is by murdering this person. Yeah. Yeah. He says it's basic math. If you, if you take someone, you either kill them or you get caught. And at this point, when he does, when he does kill her, he says that he didn't know that the police were looking for him. He actually says that on one of the days that he was holding her captive, he had seen a newspaper and he noticed, I I wonder if this was the second day that, that he had taken her Mm -hmm. because remember the, the, um, the friend's were not really aware that she was missing until some part on that second day. Right. So she would have been reported missing on that second day. He would have already had her for maybe 24 hours at this point. And so this might not have hit the newspapers until technically that third day that she was held captive. Right. And at some point he says, you know, he sees a newspaper. There's no mention of Meredith Emerson's name in this newspaper. And he, he says to her that they had a conversation about, 
you know, they're not even looking for you. Your name's not in the paper. If they were looking for you, your name would have been in the in the newspaper. Right, and, but and this, this is may just, have been a taunt. Right, but this is just a lonely piece of shit individual that for some reason, you know, Mr. Always Right, Mr. So freaking intelligent, right? That's just, that's what this guy thinks he is. He thinks he's the number one salesman of all time. You know, he's he, he's God's gift to this green earth. And so this is his way of going, look, nobody gives a shit about you. Well, because nobody gave a shit about you, you mm. know? Like, nobody give, gave a shit about Gary Hilton because he was, a, he was a horrible individual. He was not nice to people. He didn't have friends. He was a, a loser. And so he was then, you know, reflecting all his inner turmoil and all the stuff that was going on wrong with him and saying, look, nobody's looking for you. Nobody, nobody loves you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing here too is back. This is another newspaper. This is on the final day on January 4th when uh, the morning that she was still alive, he had killed her some point that morning. He had said that he later that day had seen a newspaper and his face was on the front page. Right. This is after they're looking for him. They've already identified him as, as the number one person of interest in this missing girl's case. Right. Which he's probably thinking, how the hell do they know? But maybe he's also thinking that somebody saw him while they're hiking. And he says, you know, that, um, you know, I had, I would not have, I would not have killed her. Had I seen that that newspaper instead of that afternoon, if I would have seen it that morning, and again it yeah, goes but back he's to just a fucking liar because he he said earlier, it's simple math: you abduct somebody, then you kill them. But it's in that same interview that he says this is the reason for that. That right, had he right, seen right. had he seen that newspaper that morning, he would have realized he was already caught. And what he was saying was that oh, so he's saying if he would have known he was already caught, that he wouldn't have killed that her. he would have released her. Right. And yeah. and it because it now you have a kidnapping charge instead of a murder charge. Right. And and his thought was that, you know, as he said, it's simple math. When you take someone, you either kill them or you get caught. Now, if you're already caught, meaning they already know who did this, then you don't kill them. It makes no sense according right. to him. Yeah, I mean, this guy is just uh he's a lunatic. I mean, and then the other thing that he did was when he, he so he chained her up and basically went back to his van to get, um, you know, uh, a crowbar or something. Mm -hmm. But he, when he chained her up to this tree, he basically said, I'm going to let you go. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, poor Meredith actually thinks that, hey, maybe this is this whole ordeal is over with. Well, and she actually starts to think at some point that he has tied me to this tree at, or chained me to this tree. And, and now he's not coming back. You know, right. this, this is his way, I guess, of letting me go or just, or chaining me to this tree and just walking away. Right. And then he comes back and he, you know, he murders her with the, the crowbar. Yeah. And he, of course he waits till she's not, not looking. Um, and he's, he's taken her from the tree and they're walking and he basically from behind, he attacks her with that tire iron, um, hitting her over the head. But there were several things that Meredith did that if she didn't do, uh, Gary Hilton might've got away with all this. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's the stuff of heroes, right? I mean, she defends herself to the point where she's able to take these weapons off of him in the middle of an attack. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that is so incredibly brave of her, first of all. And second of all, like you said, it leads to his capture. So if, had that baton not been found, that, that was found on a trail that right. the other hikers were walking up and down and they reported it to law enforcement and here's the thing. Had well, and then also once the the once her friends and family report her missing, they then come back and they find the knife. Right. So we find multiple weapons, and now at this point the cops are going, "Hey, there's something up." So then the cops then present that to the world, and because of, because of the cops presenting that to the world, then we got uh, the eyewitness or the the lead from you know ex employer of Hilton. And that leads to, you know, people on the lookout for Gary in that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Had that baton not been found. Um, I mean, think about this because all they would have found in that situation would have been the water bottles and the dog leash, which mm -hmm. doesn't immediately. I mean, it, it presents you that she's probably missing if those items belong to her. But right. as soon as you hear about a weapon involved 
And then you see there were obvious signs of, of some kind of struggle, you know, leaves and things were, were disturbed on the ground in this area where they had, where they had fought one another for some time. And that batons found, and that tips you off that there's, we have a big problem here. I think it wasn't until later, um, that they had found the, uh, it was a bayonet or a, a knife of some form. Uh, they, they ended up using like a metal detector because it, it was kind of, you know, as I said, the ground was disturbed and it was underneath leaves and debris and such that it wasn't obvious to anybody in the area. But once they found those weapons because of her bravery is what, what tipped them off and what, what sent Gary Hilton on a path to life in jail. Well, and the other thing though, too, is that she kept giving him the wrong information on these, on the debit cards or the ATM cards. And Again, it's one of those things where if she would, uh, depending on her actions, he could have just killed her, you know, and just, you know, just been done with it. And then he just drives away. Yeah. He could have been long gone. But the fact that, you know, she basically kind of keeps up the struggle for, you know, four days or three days, then it's like it it accumulates into him being caught. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to talk real quickly here about this vehicle charge. Cause remember earlier we had said that when he was, when Gary Hilton was picked up at the Chevron gas station, right? Uh, the good Samaritan had called in, they arrest him because obviously he's a person of interest in this disappearance case and they had found bloody clothes earlier, but they actually arrest him. And I believe they held him on a vehicle charge. And, um, I'm not, I'm not 100%, uh, of understanding of this vehicle charge here, but I'll go through it best that I can. And the reason that I bring it up is because this has been a topic of discussion and a topic of ridicule regarding law enforcement, regarding the Gary Hilton case. Right. So before, before Meredith Emerson was abducted, Gary Hilton was, he had been pulled over and he actually had a warrant out for his arrest at this point. Basically what had happened was that he had parked his van, illegally parked his van on federal property. This was probably at one of the national forest or state parks that he frequented. And they say that he had a warrant out for his arrest on this charge. What What is probably most likely was that he was ticketed for a parking offense. And when he failed to pay the ticket or appear in court to contest the ticket, mm-hmm. then he received a bench warrant for his arrest. That's what I'm, what I'm guessing anyway. Well, it might not have came up in the system just depending on what area. I mean, he w- might have had a warrant in a different county. Yeah, yeah. And the, so, so if he's in, a, you know, if he's in one county, he gets the warrant. The other county, it might not show up in their records. And the reason, yeah, the reason why there's they've caught a lot of flack for this was because he's pulled over. They run a check on him for whatever reason. This doesn't come up in the information. So, of course, the thought here is that if someone had not dropped the ball, then Meredith. Emerson may still be alive. He may have never had the opportunity to abduct her. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's put in a lot of, again, just the way the system works and, and how they put it in, in the system for the officer to check. I mean, it, was it something that he missed? You know, again, who knows? I mean, cause then they arrest him. He gets out of jail, still goes, to Blood Mountain still finds Meredith. She's still, I, I don't think you can put that on that officer or goes to the national forest on a different date, finding a different victim. Exactly. And uh, then, and I think the other thing too, in this case is how hard it would be for the detectives involved. I know that the lead detective, it was his last case that he's ever done. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you have this, you know, uh, most of these detectives have daughters or have sisters or whoever mothers and, and, and you, you fear for this girl's safety. And as she's missing, you know, and once you now know that she's not just missing, but possible abduction. Now it's, we need to find her before she dies, you know, if she's not already dead yet. And so that the, the mind fuck that that would be as a detective, you know what I mean? Well, they're waiting for a call to come in. I mean, they've done everything that they've could. They've, they've put everything out to the public. They receive feedback from somebody that knows this individual that now they have a suspect. Well, they, they, but, but you're not waiting for a call. That's what I'm saying. You're not because you also have 
you know, the license plates of these vehicles. Right. So that's why I'm saying it's, it's just, you, this well, you're horrible. active, you're actively investigating. You're following every lead that you can, but ultimately I'm, I'm telling you, you interview those detectives in the back of their mind. They're always going, we're waiting for a call because right. we've pushed this stuff out to the public for good reason. Mm-hmm. We need as many eyes on this situation as possible. We need somebody to spot this guy, spot this van, see the dog, make a phone call. You, you're not sitting there on your hands waiting for a phone call. You're right, actively right. investigating, but you know the best chance of catching up to this guy is somebody in the public seeing him and making Well, yeah, or, you know, another cop seeing it, you know. But but the the stress that that would be, hmm. you know, and then and then to find out uh, when you do catch Heldon and he says, hey, well, look, I, I murdered her. Hmm. I mean, and what the detective has to go through at that point. Because, you know, and, and the detective said, too, that, you know, for whatever reason, um, Meredith Emerson's parents, for some reason on this case, they normally hold withhold a lot of evidence from the family or, or hold back a lot of stuff that was going on with the case. Mm-hmm. They actually presented a lot of this stuff to the family as it was happening. Yeah, I believe he said something to the fact like after he had met her parents it was quickly decided between him and the other detectives that they were going to share every bit of information. We can't hold it back. I mean, probably their person, you know, the, the, the good nature and the personality of her parents is, is probably a big part of that. But the other thing too, is you have a situation here where it's very, it's, it's practically obvious from the get go that this is not a situation, a family situation. This is not a a family abduction or a family attack. This is not, you don't need to look at those parents or family members as suspects. Yeah, and I th- but I also I also think that in this situation, uh, and just the little bit of background that we know of Gary Hilton at this point, I think it's like you you you're open and honest and forthcoming with information, knowing that the chances of this turning out well is probably not going to happen. Right. I mean, you're hopeful, but chances are it's not going to turn out well. So. By sharing the information that you're learning with the family, you're almost preparing them for the worst outcome. Yeah, and I think that that's why they point out that anytime they got a hit on that bank card, was there there was a little sign of hope, right. a little possibility. And you know, I don't want there, you know, nobody wants there to be more victims or anything like that. But you know, the the other strange, amongst all the other strange and and cruel behavior in this case. But a strange thing to me was he let the dog go. The dog was just wandering around. And he says later in an interview, he couldn't bring himself to kill the dog. I mean, these psychopaths, they make little to no sense in most of these situations. And uh, then the other sad thing, I mean, kind of the closure of the closure of the confession and everything is when they do find her body. I mean, she is headless. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did decapitate her and he basically makes claims that he did so because it was about identifying the body. Yeah, it was for forensic purposes. He he wanted her not to be identified. Again, I think this goes back to this idea that he thinks he's going to be able to... Because even when he sees himself in the paper and all that stuff, I still think he thought he can outsmart everybody. Yeah, I mean, he's driving around. He's dumping things in different dumpsters. Uh, he, he was making all the moves to get rid of the evidence get rid of anything tying him to Meredith Emerson and then get out of Dodge. And if that's not horrific enough and all these little tiny events, you know, all these little happenstance events, uh, events that happen uh, to lead to his capture. Meanwhile, as there's, they're reporting that this girl is missing and possibly abducted. There's other law enforcement agencies out there going, wait, we have similar cases. Yeah. Now, now we have, uh, we have a missing person we have bodies that we found and they're starting to link is, you know, they're starting to question, I guess, is this the work of Gary Hilton? Yeah, you're exactly right. There are cases out there that have not just similarities, but strong similarities, almost the exact same MO uh, people that have gone missing in, in national forest, people that have been found in national forest. And they're, they're going to use things that they find in his confession as well as items that they find and evidence they find in his van that may lead them to other murder charges. Yeah, so the law enforcement at this point is going, 
you know, we might have a serial killer on our hands and in custody. That's what we'll dive into tomorrow. Uh, what's the recommended reading for this week? Uh, this week we are recommending the Yosemite Murders by Dennis McDougall. Um, this is a case that takes place on the, on the other side of the United States in one of the biggest parks in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a on the trail of murder and mayhem um, by Dennis McDougall. It's the Yosemite Murders, and you can pick that up by going to TrueCrimeGarage.com and check out the recommended page. We have several books on there as well as some movies and you can use our Amazon banner to pick up any of your true crime books or movies. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for telling a friend the support the last year has been overwhelming. And uh, we just keep, uh, you know, we, we talk so much. There's so much in this case and there's so much that involves other cases and a couple big profile cases that are pretty big in the true crime world uh, that people think possibly Hilton is linked to. And we'll discuss that tomorrow and uh, kind of go into a little bit of backstory with Hilton as well. But again, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend and much love. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter. And don't smitter. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 